Welcome to the Bring Your Dreams Alive podcast. Are you ready to bring your dreams alive for real? Check out my Bring Your Dreams Alive audio activations as my gift at meetcorymichelle.com forward slash gift. Now, enjoy the show. All right, welcome to Corey Michelle's Crazy Possible Podcast. And today I have a very special guest with a pretty deep topic today. And I wanted to bring this guest on today because a lot of times in life, things happen that you don't expect. And our life gets taken in a direction that we wouldn't consciously choose to go in. But these are the times that we get to create our crazy possible lives. And it's not necessarily the fun and exciting stuff, but it's in a a deep, emotional, and very satisfying and fulfilling way. So we're going to have a really cool conversation today with Lumi. Welcome, Lumi, to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Fantastic. So I've known Lumi for years, and we just reconnected recently. And her partner, how, how long were you guys together? 11 and a half years. Her partner of 11 and a half years was terminally ill, and she became a caretaker. And so we're going to talk about that story today, because I feel like it's just so important nowadays, especially with so many of us having stuff going on in the world with our bodies, but also with parents and loved ones getting ill and stuff like that. It's just something I think needs to be spoken about more. So I'm excited to tune in. So give the audience the story of what happened. How was life going? And then what happened? So life was going fabulously. My husband and I, Bodhi, very much in love, very like committed to each other and to our like spiritual growth and just being true to truth. And he started not feeling well. And he had like these, like these little things cropping up over the summer of 20. And then by Thanksgiving, he really wasn't feeling well. And he went in, his doctor sent him in for, I don't know if it was an MRI or a CAT scan. Honestly, I can't remember. And they found a nodule. And so that just threw us into this kind of whirlwind of like medical procedures and appointments and all that kind of stuff. So he did end up being diagnosed with stage one pancreatic cancer. And we just thought, wow, it's stage one. This is awesome. Nobody ever finds it at stage one. And they said, not to downplay this, this is very serious. And you're so lucky. We found it so early. You go to the surgeon, the surgeon will remove it. It'll be a crap recovery and you'll be fine. Wow. And then we go to the surgeon only to find out that it's inoperable. And what the surgeon recommended works for about 20% of the cases. So we just started this, this journey of like Western medicine, alternative medicine. We went to Mexico for some treatment and that was amazing. And yeah, but ultimately he didn't get to go back and further his treatment. Mm-hmm. And how long was this whole process from diagnosis on? Okay. So the first person that told him that he had cancer was a hospitalist. And that was December 31st of 2019. Mm. Yeah. And then he did choose to do the medically medical aid in dying also. Oh. Yeah. So tell us about that. What does that mean? Okay. So... 
Medical Aid in Dying, also known as Death with Dignity. It's a program that's legal in, I don't know, five to seven states right now, that if you have a terminal illness with less than six months to live, you can apply for this program. And there's hoops to jump through and all that sort of thing. So he had called me one day and said, I don't want to be here anymore. And I said, okay, whatever you want, you get. So I just started calling everywhere that I thought of to call to see if any of these people participated in that program. And I ended up getting the number because we're in Colorado where it is legal. I thought I was going to have to take him somewhere, but I ended up getting a number from the PA at the oncologist's office. That was the direct line to the Denver Health Medical Aid and Dying Program Center. So I know I left a message. It was a Friday afternoon. I got a call back first thing Monday morning and I spoke to the director and she said, I have an appointment available this afternoon. We can get Bodie started right away. So I went in and I told him, wow, he was at a, in the hospice care center for a five day respite. And so that was the third day. And I went in and I told him everything that she said. He said, call her back right now. Called her back, got him on speaker. And he was like, yep, let's do this. So the way that it works in the States is you can have your first appointment with one doctor and that's considered the request for the medicine. And then no less than 15 days later, you have your second request for the medicine and that has to have two doctors. So we did that and he opted to take the medicine the same day as he had his second appointment. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, so is that the medical facility or was that at home or? Yeah. So that was at home. And the really wonderful thing about it, because of COVID, they were doing uh, the appointments via Zoom because if I had to like get him in the car and get him down there and then get him out of the car, it just, it would have been so much. And so we did the appointments on Zoom. And then the director said, hey, I have a meeting right after our appointment, but I can go to the pharmacy. I can pick up the medication and I can come to your house. Would you like me to be there with you? And I, I thought about it and I sat with it and I did choose, Bodhi and I did choose to have her come. Mm-hmm. So we ended up having like five people here at the house. Wow. The day that he took the medicine. We were playing music. He was like offering satsang to the people that were here. I mean, his whole thing was, if I can just help one more person, I would love to do that. He is such a bright light. He is such a bright light. I know, he is. (laughs) And you guys always have been, and you guys have always inspired me when I met you so long ago and your love together and how much joy you had and the contribution you both wanted to be in the world. So I want to know, I want to actually start at the beginning for you. What was it like when you found out that it was first cancer and then inoperable? There's such a surreal quality because he called me and he said, I think I have cancer. And first you're like, what? No way. No way. That's, that's just ridiculous. And then it sinks in. And then you're like, okay, well, it's stage one. We just get an appointment with the surgeon. We go see the surgeon. And he'll take it out and it'll be a crap recovery and you'll be fine down the line. And we got an appointment with the surgeon and 
I'm thinking we're going to get a surgery date. And the surgeon asks us, okay, share with me what your understanding of this situation is. And so we just repeated everything back to him. And he was like, okay. And he pulls out a diagram of the pancreas and all the things around it. And he said, okay, now I need to explain to you why I'm not able to operate. And we were just like, wait, what? Did, like, did we hear that correctly? And he pulled out the diagram and he showed us where the growth was, which we ultimately named Little Booger. So Little Booger was growing in a C-shape around the junction of three major vessels, one to the bowels, one to the liver, and the other one, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank right now, spleen. And he said if he went in there and he tried to pull this off of there, if he nicked the vessel that goes to the bowels, it would be over. Like, And so he recommended a combo of chemo and radiation to hopefully shrink that growth, to have it pull back a little bit so that he could go in and remove it. Mm. So. so what was that like for you then? I mean, obviously shock. Yes. And what did you guys go through after that to process it? So on the way home from that appointment, we were both kind of in, of course, shock. And he said, I think I heard him say that I have a 20% chance of survival. And I said, yeah, I think that's what I got from that too. And he said, I beat worse odds than that before. I'm going to be one of the 20%. And we were like, okay, yeah, yes, you are. And we were both like, yeah, we're going to do this. And they wanted him to do do chemo. And his journey was really interesting because he struggled with his platelet numbers. And so they would give him steroids to raise his platelet numbers, which also jacked up his glucose. And so it was just like this thing, like we could never find the sweet spot. And we know a functional medicine doctor based out of Houston. And so we worked with him to do this protocol that actually raises your platelet numbers. And so he did that. And his platelet numbers went up something crazy, like 80 points, which was amazing. But then he was unable to maintain that protocol because it was just a lot of supplements and a lot of shakes. And he really struggled with vomiting and nausea and just all kinds of stuff. So after we finished uh, the protocol and his platelet numbers went up is when we went to Mexico to a place that does like alternative non-toxic cancer treatment. And like, we were just going along, like he's going to heal. He's going to heal. And we went to Mexico. We were riding bicycles. He was feeling really good. The treatments were going great. His doctor there even used the word miracle or miraculous. And then right before he was due to come home, his doc said they did so many scans and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, I see something on your liver that we want to look at. And he came home with the continuation of two of the treatments that he was doing down there, but he could never do it. And so he got home early August from that. And we were still like, okay, like we're just going to do what seems like the logical next step. And so probably by the end of August, he was just struggled with vomiting and uncontrollable pain. So I was taking him to the ER 
on a fairly regular basis. I felt like they were like, oh, hey, Bodhi, good to see you. Let's get you taken care of. Like they knew him. Mm. And so probably about the end of August, he told me that he felt like he was being called home. And I just thought he was having a bad day because I'm like, no, he's going to heal. Like he's going to heal. So after a couple of days, I realized that he wasn't just having a bad day, that he was just like, I just feel like, like it's my time. So we got him in hospice and he was in hospice for about a month before he called me and just said, I definitely do not want to be here. So like our relationship and the way that we live our life, it's like we live our lives being true to truth. And we're very conscious, very aware. And we just met whatever was there at that time. When I realized that he was going to be leaving his body and he was going somewhere that I could not follow. So that was heartbreaking. Was the total time frame about a year? Oh, sorry. No, you asked me that. <laughs> it was about 10 months. <laughs> 10 months. So that's really, really fast. Yes. And you go on the, the hyper speed of healing and the doctor's appointments and you know your life is consumed with now handling this emergency, putting all of your energy into it and all of that sort of stuff. What was that like for you in your life? Because you had a thriving hair business, mm-hmm. thriving salon. Yeah. Right. And so what was it like for you to take your focus off of creating your, your awesome life together to now being in this, this whole other trajectory? Right. Well, this was the year of COVID. So I was home with him until the beginning of May when the salon reopened. And then I, I went back in the month of May, I was just there crazy, like six days a week. And then after that, then I was working three days a week. So I would go and I would do my hair business, do my hair. And then on the days that I didn't work, then I would be like caretaking him and taking him to appointments and I mean, all that sort of thing. So through the summer, it, it was pretty okay. Like I had balance. The days that I was off, I could go out for walks. I could go out for bike rides and he was just fine here by himself. And then once we got into September, when he was on hospice, there were no hospice volunteers that could come in home because it was COVID. So when he was needing medication round the clock, like the hospice nurse could come in for one hour, three times a week. And the CNA could come in for one hour, three times a week. So I always set them up at different times on the days that I was working. So it's just... Like when you look at somebody else's life that you don't have a frame of reference for, you always say, I don't know how they do it. And you do it because you don't have any other choice. You just put one foot in front of the other and you breathe in and out. And I gave him the best care that I absolutely could because I love him with everything that I am. He's my beloved. And it was hard. And I, like, I always made sure that I had the time to feel my feelings. Like I was supporting him and taking care of him. And like, it got to the point after he was doing the chemo and the radiation combo that the only thing that, that would help him feel better would be a Wendy's Frosty. And so many people say, oh no, starve the cancer, no sugar. And when you have like 
a 230 pound man who cannot eat anything, you just want calories in there. So I was like, forget the sugar thing. Like he's already on his way out. Whatever is going to help him to feel better, I'm doing it. I don't care. And so I took care of him to the best of my ability. And I took care of me to the best of my ability. Like I did my bubble baths. I had friends that I could talk to. And like I said, I took the time to feel whatever feelings were arising and kind of pay attention to that and let them come up and have their experience and then move on. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, because like from my perspective, the dramatic shift in the direction of your life and what you have to now pay attention to I love how you said you just put one foot in front of the other, right? And then you just keep going until you get to the end of it and whatever that looks like, right? And sometimes people recover and then sometimes they don't. And one of the things that you said to me the other day was so beautiful. You said you wanted, you know, your idea of him healing and having a miracle was one thing, but what happened was another. Can you share more about that with us? Yeah. I did a lot of writing and I did a lot of posting on Facebook throughout this, like the last two months of his life. And I was so convinced with every fiber of my being, every whatever of my being, I was convinced that he was going to heal. And afterwards, after I had some like, like some distance and some space from the actual event, I realized that he did heal. It's just not the way that I wanted, right? It's not the way that I had in my head. But he totally healed. Yeah. And it's it's really, really amazing too, is even when you say that you light up. Yeah. Right. And the like the love that you have and the desire that you had for him to heal, even if it wasn't the way that you thought, is still lights you up. And that is just such a beautiful expression. Right. Like, I just think that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. So now I want to know also him calling you and saying, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here. I think that's probably one of the things that people might fear the most of their loved ones being ready to actually go, especially so unexpectedly and so quickly. Just a few months ago, everything was great. And I would love to know what that was like for you in that moment where you're like, oh, it's happening now. Right. We're going there. Yeah. I don't know that I had that conscious thought. I just know like what I saw him go through, Corey, was devastating for me because I want to help him feel better. I want to do anything that I can to ease his pain. And there was nothing that I could do. And I've had people say to me like, wow, that must have been so rough to know that he was going to choose that route. And what was harder for me was seeing him in the amount of pain that he was in. I used the term soul crushing at one point. And in my writing, the soul can never be crushed. But what was crushed were all these ideas and these concepts and these constructs that were in place that I believe to be true, that were only ideas or ideals. What's true is the love that I have for him. What's true is that love never dies. And what is also true is that who he is did not die. 
It was just that body, that physical vehicle that he used to get around. He is alive today more than ever. I love that perspective because I hold that perspective as well, that the consciousness, the being, the spirit, the soul is something that does live on and it lives on in whatever form we sort of perceive it. But especially like for us, like we can continue to have these relationships with these beings that used to have bodies that now no longer have bodies. And then we, we get to shift the trajectory of our life. And I've seen in my lifetime, lots and lots of people who, when they have a big shift in life like that, where their partner, their parent, their child or whatever exits, either for you know, however it happens, tragically or consciously or however, there's this, it's devastating on one hand. And then on another hand, you're still here, right? You're still here. So now what, right? Now, how do you heal from that? And not ever forget, obviously, but how do you now live your life and create an amazing life? Because you had an amazing life before. So how do you move on? Tell me about that. (laughs) Well, the first thing that I did is I felt all of my feelings. Like I would be laying on my bedroom floor, just wailing and sobbing. (laughs) And I think that's a very necessary part. I think the vast majority of us are afraid of feelings and we're afraid of feeling our feelings. And we think if we somehow avoid feeling them, that it serves us. No, no, no. That jacks us up so badly down the line. So my thing is, and that's kind of my specialty is emotion. So that's my area of expertise. And to feel the things that show up when they show up was amazing. And again, I just kept breathing in and out. And I kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I just, I mean, at first you're numb, you're so numb and there's this surrealness. And what I believe for a really long time now was tested with, uh, with Bodhi's journey, for lack of a better term. And I've said for like probably decades that when somebody leaves earlier than their family members or loved ones would like, I do not believe that anyone leaves before their time. I just don't believe that. And when somebody leaves earlier than the loved ones would like, it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And that opportunity to get on a different path or another other pathways open, and you can go down a path that you wouldn't have any other way. So now for me, I'm guided to work with people in grief. I'm going to be writing books about how to healthy, healthily navigate grief and books on how the loved ones of those in grief can support them because you don't know until you know. And I wouldn't be on this path. I wouldn't be talking with people whose loved ones are considering medical aid and dying. Bodhi had me promise to give out the number to help anyone who wanted help. And it's so fulfilling to be able to support these people as they're going through something that I have experience with. I mean, that's the best way to help people, right? And so now hair, whatever, I'm being called to like a higher purpose. I'm being called to be 
more of a contribution because I have other gifts and it's time for those gifts to be put out into the world. 100%. It's time for those gifts to connect other people and to help them navigate things that they never want to navigate. They're members of clubs that nobody ever wants to join. And there is a way to do that in a healthy way and to be able to thrive on the other side. And that's what I'm being called to do, to help people thrive after something so devastating that you think you can't recover from. I love that so much. It's like, and this is the crazy possible part, right? It's like you go through the most intense moments and times and things that you would never want to wish on anybody. And you come out the other side and you're like, wow, I've got a whole new purpose in life. I've got a whole new calling. I've got a whole new inspiration because of this thing that I just went through. And I think that that where you're headed now in the contribution that you're called to be is going to be so impactful for people. And because I love your perspective on how you went through it and you already had so much consciousness and awareness that to navigate this whole thing, this whole journey with that would be such a contribution to the people who don't have that, Mm -hmm. right? Who don't have these perspectives that actually, even though it's devastating, make it easier to go through. So you don't get stuck in the grieving for all like tons and tons of years where you can't move on in your life, right? Where it's like, all right, we've got to be able to move on in a way that's healthy, like you said, and that supports what your next phase in life is, because it's going to be the next phase. It's going to be different. Yes. Right. And I think that's the crazy possible part. And it's not the woohoo, like we created millions of dollars, even though you will. But it's the, this is the realness of how life works sometimes. Yes. And a big part of that, because when you have that kind of experience and you go through something that's that intense, it changes you fundamentally. And we were talking the other day um, about how the brain functions afterwards. And I want to help people discover or uncover who they are on the other side of this, because it's a fundamental change. Every single thing about me is at least a little bit different. I am not the same person and I will never be that person again. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. That's okay with me. You can't just go back to living your old life because number one, it's different. But also what you were saying is that your brain actually changes going through this level of intensity. Yes. Right. And is it because of the intensity, because of the loss, the grief, the sudden change, the shock? Like, do you know? You know what? I'm just going to have to say that it's everything because your world as you know it and the future that you've envisioned or that you've planned for, or all of that dies with your loved one, dies, leaves with your loved one. Yeah. I don't like that word die because it's only the body. Like it's not the being, not the soul, yeah. but it's not only what happens in that moment, but it's the future that you envisioned or that you planned for, or that you hoped for. And so it's like, it kind of almost feels like, like you've been taken out of your life and you've been put in a different one mm-hmm. because everything is different. 
And a lot of people have, have financial challenges. I mean, our country is not like the U S is not great with bereavement and support and all that kind of stuff. I went back to work on the ninth day after Bodie departed because there was no life insurance. There was only accidental and all those bills still want to be paid. And so, I mean, I just think that there's so much opportunity to do things differently, to support these human beings while we're human beings having these experiences. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So with the transition into your new life, basically. Yeah. Right. What are some, maybe like three sort of tips you might give people to, you know, things to pay attention to or to be aware of if they know somebody or they themselves might be navigating something like, like this. Right. So for somebody that's navigating, the first thing that I would ever say is just feel your feelings and they're going to ebb and flow. And I smiled the day after Bodhi passed, like I smiled. It's okay. There's going to be different feelings and just, I would say just best thing that you can do for yourself is just feel whatever's there. And if you're curled up like a shrimp cocktail on whatever floor you're on and you're wailing and sobbing, that's what's there. The second thing that I would do is just be gentle with yourself. These are for the people like the grievers, right? Just be gentle with yourself. And if you can have someone that you trust there with you, I think that's helpful. Some people like to navigate it alone. I did need a lot of alone time because people would distract me from what I needed to feel. And the other thing I would say is to not push yourself. Mm. Like you don't become exhausted overnight and you're not going to not be exhausted overnight either. Oh, such good advice. Thanks. For, for the people that are helping somebody navigate grief, no questions. Don't ask them, how are you doing? No. Don't ask them, can I do anything for you? No. You let them know that you're there. Say their person's name. Ask if they want to talk about their person. So many of us are terrified of making somebody cry. That is what needs to happen. Trust me, you're not reminding anyone that their person passed. They already know every single minute of every single day. And offer to cut their grass, offer to bring them food from the store, offer to drop off food at their front door, offer to take their kids or something for an afternoon. These are like tangible things. Don't say, if you need anything, I'm here. Like no one's ever going to call you because your brain can't figure out what you even need. And then by the time you figure out what you need, you don't remember that there's somebody that you can reach out to. Or there was so many people you just, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't keep all of the, you don't have enough space in your, it seems to me that you wouldn't even have enough space in your mind to remember. You don't. Because you're probably getting so much of that non-helpful help, right? Right. Yes. And then sometimes just be with them and you don't have to say a thing. If you don't know what to say, you can say that. Oh my gosh, I have no idea what to say. And then shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask if, 
Ask them if they want a hug. Ask them if you want, like if they want you to hold their hand. Ask them if you can just sit with them and then do that. And please don't fluff talk. (laughs) Please don't talk to fill silence. You may be uncomfortable. And the important thing is that you're still there if you're uncomfortable. I think that's really important because I find myself not knowing what to say. So then I sometimes just won't say anything and go, I just, I have no idea what to say. And it sounds like from what you're saying is just say that. Yeah. Perfect. Because who does know what to say unless they've been through it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this could just be my thing, but the term, I'm sorry for your loss. I hated that. It was like so trite and they're like, okay, I know something happened with her. So I'm just going to throw out this sentence so that we can start talking about other things then. And it, it, like, to me, it was excruciating, excruciating. Mm. Right. Cause it's like, it's so misdirected. Cause I don't like that statement either. Sorry for your loss. I, people always say, getting a hundred responses on something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's like, sorry for your loss. And you're like, wait a second, what are you really talking about? You didn't really lose him or your loved one as a being, as a memory, as a continued connection, right? Mm -hmm. The body's gone, like you had said before, but like, what is this really? And for me personally, I believe the same as you of like everybody goes when they're meant to go. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not a popular belief, but that just really sets right with me of like, no matter how your journey ends up happening, you are, you're meant to go when you're meant to go. And it's not always the easiest or the most ideal time or way for your loved ones. And that's our journey, right? Like the other people's journey to go through is that. And for whatever reasons we're put together and we're we're meant to have these experiences or we're choosing to have these experiences. And some of them suck really bad. And some of them are really amazing. And we have all of them in our lives. And when we sort of get to this space in our consciousness where we can be with that concept of like, we were meant to have this and this is what we had. And now, now what? I think the other thing that you said was that the vision of your future when that's gone, and we find this in breakups too, right? Like when the vision of the future is no longer there, that's part of the biggest grief is that we don't get to live out what we had imagined or what we thought was going to be. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I never thought I was going to be divorced. And so they never really move on. They just sort of stay like, I just never thought I was going to be here. So I don't really create my life next. But like with a situation like this, you have so much to now look at that is focused on you, not an us. So I would love to know a little bit about what that's been like for you as well. So I have historically been putting other people before me and there were things that I wanted to do and places that I wanted to go and for the most part, Bodhi was on board and Bodhi, you remember big, big energy. And so I would just automatically go along with him, like in his wake. And I would do whatever I could to support him. And looking like after the fact, after I processed his departure for a bit, I realized, okay, this is my time. 
This is my time to do what I want to do. This is my time to shine. And this is my time to move in directions only considering myself. Because when you're in a committed partnership, there's two. And now it's just me. And so, and I said, like I said to people, he had to go because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm here to do if he were still here. I can't say that to everybody because people get horrified, right? They're like, what? That is such a powerful awareness. And I would say this like evolved consciousness that can be able to say and see it from the bigger picture, right? Of going, if you were still here, I would never have had this experience, obviously. And then I would never be able to contribute in this way. And I would never have been inspired by like this. I would never be putting these things together. I would never do what I'm supposed to do here because that configuration was only supposed to catalyze something else. And that is such an empowered perspective. And I'm so, so, so grateful that you're moving in this direction. You feel inspired because I feel like you have such a valuable perspective and a valuable voice and so much to teach people about this. That's just so much different than what the average sort of conversation is. I feel like it could really contribute to so many people. And I'm so excited for your books and your classes that you got coming up and everything else that you have to offer. Lumi, you are a bright light in the world. And I just so appreciate you and you stepping into all of this for yourself. It's just amazing. So if anybody listening, if you have gone through something like this and you would like more support, please connect with Lumi. And if you know anybody else that could use this conversation, forward this podcast to them, connect them with Lumi and see if maybe she can be a contribution in their world. Lumi, can you share your website for us, please? Yes, it's just lumilove.me. So www.lumilove.me. Dot me. Fantastic. Thank you, Lumi, for being on today. Do you have any final words for our audience today? I just want to say like our culture is really not great around end of life. And so many of us, the vast majority of us walk through life, not thinking about it and kind of putting a lid over that because it's scary, it's painful. And I just want people to think about this. Anywhere you have a lid on one part of your life, that lid is on the other parts of your life as well. So if you're trying not to look or think about end of life, guess what? Your joy, your your rich, full, amazing life also has a lid on it. So let's pull those lids off and let's just be real and authentic. And let's just face what's here to be faced. And let's design what's crazy possible. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Living life fully. Yes. And Lumi Loves dot Lumi Love or Lumi Loves? Lumi Love. Lumi Love dot me. Check her out. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bring Your Dreams Alive. Now, if you're someone who would like to turn your desires into reality, to know how to create anything at any time, to have energetic self-mastery, to tap into your 5D consciousness and bring those dreams alive, check out my latest webinar where I share all the secrets on how to shift your mindset and your consciousness so that you can confidently bring your dreams alive 
even if you've been feeling stuck or blocked. Check it out today at meetcoreymichelle.com forward slash webinar.